Hello and welcome to Arty Party, celebrating participatory arts in the Northeast. My name is Jay Sykes and welcome to our party. We share the work of creatives and artists living and working in the Northeast. Whether grassroots, emerging or established, everyone's invited. And today, in partnership with Sunderland Culture, we are recording part two in front of a live audience at the Arts Centre Washington! Earlier, and in fact, if you head to the artyparty.com website, that's arty with a Y, party with an I, Y I, then you can hear the episode that we recorded before at the Art Centre Washington. Why I? <laughs> that included glass artists Ayako Tani, Anthony Amoyako Atta, and Sue Delbridge, who all shared about their practice. But let's dive into today's episode. First up, if you could please start by introducing yourself as an artist, please welcome Kelsey Lynn Mayo. Hi. Hello, uh, thanks for having me. I'm, like I said, really honored to be here. I feel like as a young artist, just coming out here is an amazing opportunity. So thank you all for being here. So as an artist, I am just done with my master's last fall at Sunderland University at the National Glass Center. Before that, I did my BFA in sculpture practice with glass at Alfred University, which is in New York. It's also really well-known for glass. Uh, that's how I first got started. So I kind of just distinguished myself as an artist rather than just always being, I'm a glass artist, because I tend to mix different mediums in with glass. I work with things from printing, painting on glass, using water jet cutting, laser cutting, engraving into glass using 3D technologies, neon, enamels. So it's a very diverse practice. I, I tend to not want to limit myself ever, which gets me in a bit of trouble. But I try to expand different things. And I think the Alfred University, which was on a Bauhaus system of learning, which started me off in like a foundation and then kind of slowly had me pick my way up in certain mediums, really helped me realize like as an artist you can dip your toes in other things I guess that's kind of my main practice yeah <laughs> just quickly in the last episode we talked a little bit about how people who've come to Sunderland come to the UK from outside from other countries specifically it was from from Ghana and from Japan have found this new practice over here as part of the National Glass Center would you be able to share how coming to Sunderland has impacted on your work I kind of had a funny route here. I actually studied abroad, left, went back, finished my bachelor's, and then missed it so much I came back. So <laughs> I'm here again. And I found that because Alfred was so experimental, I was drawn to like more technical process, including printing, because I was trained as a printer, but was also in glass, and they were so divided that I looked into Jeff Sarmiento's work and then also Kevin Petrie, who was doing printmaking. And that's what first attracted me by coming here and learning from Jeff or people like Inga Panels and like learning these very technical processes and using equipment like water jet cutting, which is really hard to come by. I don't know if, how much about glass the audience knows or people listening, but it's really hard to come about. 
and it's also expensive. So having that ability to just use this equipment has like totally changed my process and like opened up the ways to actually use it and not just like hope to use it someday. And like, I now have a better understanding of things. So it's definitely opened up different routes of working. We'll be talking more, Kelsey Lynn Mayer, about what's coming next for you in your practice, because it's a big, big, exciting journey <laughs> that you're about to go on. But before we do that, let's introduce our second guest in this half of the live recording of Artie Party at the Art Center Washington. She is project coordinator here at Art Center Washington and widely with Sunderland Culture. Please welcome Posey Jowett. First of all, thank you for letting us into your little world, into your family at Art Center. Oh, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you very much for coming. It's really lovely to have people come into the Art Center to celebrate something like our People's Pyrex exhibition, which is all about putting uh, our people, our communities, like at the heart of the Art Center. So thank you for coming tonight. Can you tell me more, please, Posey, about this People's Pyrex exhibition? That's the reason why we're having this glass celebration at the Art Center Washington in the first place. So what is People's Pyrex all about? So um, People's Pyrex is an exhibition made up of a combination of things, but mostly community loans of people's actual Pyrex dishes that they've dug out from inside their cupboards or loaned from their grandmother's houses to come and put up on our shelves for a short period of time. So the exhibition is open until the 27th of July this year, and it is in line with the National Glass Centre's 21st birthday celebrations so because the art center is a community hub it's a community art center and that we have chosen to focus on the impact that glass making had on our communities on the memories I suppose and the value that Pyrex holds for a lot of people that live around here you told me before we started the show that you've been collecting stories that people have shared when they've been donating mm. this Pyrex to the exhibition Yes, and that has been one of the most lovely things about this exhibition. We've been welcoming people into the art centre, giving them a cup of tea or coffee from one of our gorgeous Pyrex tea sets, <laughs> and listening to them about the stories that they have to share with us that are associated with their Pyrex objects. So on my first donation session last week, last Wednesday, a woman brought in it was just a, it wasn't a coloured glass one, it wasn't a, a, a kind of painted fancy one. It was just clear glass pie dish. But the way that she held it and the way that she talked about it and told me about making lemon meringue pies for her family. It was her thing that she made lemon meringue pies and she described the smell of the zest of lemons as they were being grated for these lemon meringue pies and the, the kind of golden brown colour of the meringue peaks when it came out of the oven and then putting it down on the table for her family and there being that little wobble you know, in the, <laughs> in the meringue. And it's so amazing to see this really simple object that's been used every week, every month, sometimes more, for the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years, even inherited from someone else before that, that have such a strong place in people's home lives and in people's memories about their family lives. But one of the amazing things that we really hadn't anticipated, actually, is that we would not just be receiving the, the kind of classic bowls and casseroles and dishes that are really familiar and that were mass produced in a, the Pyrex factory, but we've had some 
incredible little kind of sneaky things that had been made uh, mm. <laughs> um, by workers during their breaks for their loved ones, you know, just out of scrappy little tiny pieces of material that we've got a little tiny set of jugs that are about maybe an inch tall, little tiny little water jugs. I'll show you them later. They're in the office. Um, That someone brought in in a little box that says 1940 Grandma Clark on the Pyrex factory. And they had just been made for, I don't know, like a daughter maybe or a granddaughter at the Pyrex factory and had been this like little personal gift. And it's been really amazing that somewhere that we think about in terms of the sort of mass production and the same patterns going out all across the world, even though they have their own very individual stories and memories associated with them, there's also these like bespoke, handmade, really unique items that have been made at the Pyrex factory by Pyrex workers that just aren't officially Pyrex. (laughs) It's wonderful that there's this other way that we've been talking with glass artists earlier in the last episode, how glass has become such a big part of people's lives if they're working with glass. But in fact, through Pyrex, it's been, as you're talking about, Percy, a part of everybody's life, really. Anyone who's been in the kitchen in around the area and uses these objects. Kelsey, something you told me over the phone a couple of days ago, I had no idea about this, because I always thought, yeah, of course, Pyrex, it came from here in Sunderland, but apparently Mm. not. Yeah. Um, So as I said, I um, am from New York, or like I also went there in university, and Alfred's really close to Corning. Mm, Yeah. And I grew up around Pyrex as well, because Pyrex was such Mm. a big part of Corning Museum. And I remember like Thanksgiving meals, like being served on these Pyrex dishes. So like going up there just reminds me of my great grandmother's house and like all these fond memories. And it's really funny because... Pyrex is still a part of my life. Even mm. at 24, my mom was like, okay, you move to another country. First gift, Pyrex dish. <laughs> I sent it to you in the mail. I was like, thanks, mom. <laughs> so That's amazing. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's really interesting because it does have its, its history in America and it was um, invented kind of as a necessity because... So what was happening was on American railroads, they had, like, gas lanterns. And the heat of the flame inside the glass lantern combined with the cold night air on a wintry night of the train going by resulted in loads of these glass lanterns just shattering intermittently. So this borosilicate glass was invented because it would withstand these, like, extreme changes of temperature. So, yeah, so that's... It was used in scientific applications really first. So Corning, yeah, like you said, used this glass in materials like beakers and pipettes and test tubes in kind of laboratory settings. But it was the wife of one of the engineers in the Corning factory. She was called Bessie Littleton and her husband was Jesse Littleton. And she was searching for like the perfect pie dish and she kept taking cakes out of the oven and they would crack or she'd only use them a couple of times and they'd break. She was like, this is useless. Can you bring me home some samples from the lab? Because what you're working on might work for me. 
yeah, so he brought her home some samples and she started making cakes in it and uh, trying out all different things. So she roasted the potatoes in it. That worked really well. She made some cakes in it. That worked really well. She cooked a casserole in it. That worked really well. And so it was this couple who convinced Corning to expand Pyrex, what was then the material, into ovenware and tableware for the home. Mm. Bit of history, <laughs> bit of history lesson for you guys. <laughs> I love that. Also, we have uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Someone else in the room today who worked in the Pyrex factory. Please shout out. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's wonderful to have you here. I wondered, would you like to come down and share some thoughts? Yeah, Great. Okay. Come and join Ooh. us. In fact, come nice take one. my seat. And then after this, we'll be talking more with Kelsey about her future plans. Ooh. <laughs> but also to mention, if anyone hasn't already, the website that we've created, artyparty.com, exists to be a service that contains the work of all artists who are living and working in the area. Again, supported by Sunderland Culture. So thank you so much to your support. And if anyone here would like to showcase their work on board artyparty.com, then please do get in touch with me. That's artyparty.com. Arty with a Y, party with an I. Why I? <laughs> Come and join us, please. Would you mind introducing yourself, please? I'm Pauline Waters, and a long time ago I used to work in Pyrex with Lillian up there and Anne. I think it was probably 57 years ago I worked in the laboratory there and we analysed the glass. We did what you call wet analysis. We had to do it mainly by hand because there was no machines then. There was a team of about five of us. Every day we had to take samples from the furnaces, the tanks. There was, say, four tanks with layers with different types of Pyrex coming off. So it could be kitchenware, plates. It could be industrial beakers and that sort of thing. So you had to take a sample every day and you had to analyse it took a piece of it and got it into a powder and then used all chemicals. What was the acid, Lillian? Can you remember? Hydrofluoric acid. Nasty acids anyway. Hydrofluoric <laughs> fluorine. There had to be a certain amount of certain elements in the glass, otherwise the glass wasn't perfect for what it wanted to do, you know, be resistant, etc. So there was borax, aluminium, mainly silica, and it had to be really, really precise. So these powders were measured out. And we had a room where there was a glass case with balances in, with weights. And I think it was to 0.4 decimals of weight. The balances were set in sand in the benches to eliminate any vibration of the building. Because at the time the railway line was there, it would alter the weight of the you know what you were weighing out so we analyzed all that and the percentages all got written down and if they were slightly wrong it all had to be done again I think and then if it was still wrong the tank got shut down the layer stopped and all the glass got piled outside ready to be used again it was called cullet the piles of broken glass they just broke it up and started again so that was it really there was other on different floors, there was other people working in their laboratories and they were testing 
and researching. And if customers had complaints, like they would say, this dish had broken the oven, why did it? You know, <laughs> you'd have to find out why. Or this dish won't clean, and you had to find out why it didn't clean. Different things like that. I left when I was 20. I started when I was 18. I left when I was 20 because I was getting married. Lillian stayed on after that, and she was one of the people who set all the standards for the machines because years later the machines were doing the work that we were doing. You know, they were just analysing the glass without the hard work. I think Lillian did herself out of a job, really, because when the, <laughs> when the um, machine started to work, there was no, no work for her. I think it's probably the same as supermarkets now. You know, if you go to the self-service checkout, you're doing somebody out of a job. I don't think it was mundane, but I enjoyed being there. I enjoyed the science part of it, because I always liked science and the camaraderie. Pauline, something that I find really interesting about what you just talked about there is how when I think of a factory I think everything inside it just happens and that the processes are worked out but the very fact that you got to account for the trains going by in terms of the processes and making sure that everything is just right it's yeah it's fascinating to think all of these factors that impact on the work well there was obviously thousands of people worked there I think Lillian reminded me this morning the certain amount of different parts that went in to make the glass the men actually had to shovel these parts into the tank you know use shovels and sometimes the shovel got dropped so that would make the whole th batch inaccurate not right it was very hitty missy i think is that right yeah uh-huh they dropped the shovel yeah the glass would go green if there was too much iron in. <laughs> So, oh, the, uh, the other thing was uh, that I never liked and I remembered was the fume cupboards. So we worked with fume cupboards that were, the, they were just like glass. You lifted them up and you worked in there with your hands. So when you were putting the acid into your Petri dish or whatever it was, the fumes were supposed to go up. Well, they didn't really. The glass, the glass front <laughs> was all spoiled by the fumes from the acid. Oof. And I always had headaches... And no. I often had, my skin was peeling off. And I never used to think anything about it. It was just part of the job. Mm. But it was obviously the fume cupboards didn't work. I didn't, I didn't like them. Very realities of working in a, in a, in a factory. Yeah. yeah. Colleen, thank you so much Hi, for Tom. sharing your thoughts with us. Colleen Walters. If you've just joined us here on Arti Party, you are listening to a celebration of glass in the northeast. Very real encounter there from from Pauline Waters, who's here with some of her friends who used to work in the in the Pyrex factory here in Sunderland. Working with heat and working with glass is something that another of our guests today encounters. If we hand back over to Kelsey Lynn Mayo, who applied for the Futures Fund, mm. was successful and got a kiln funded that's going to fill your space. Would you like to know about that space then? <laughs> I would love to know about that space, yes. <laughs> so we need a kiln because uh, I'm opening up a studio that's offering up workshops. I'm doing this with someone I did my master's with, Tuna Azkan. Tuna. Tuna, yes, which his name's important because <laughs> my name is Kelsey Lynn Mayo 
So together with Tunameo Studios, um, yes, haha. <laughs> uh, it just was destined, wasn't it? So what we're doing there is teaching workshops to the public, but also opening up to other artists to come work with Glass in Newcastle, out of the Newcastle Arts Centre. So we applied for the Futures Fund to get funding for this kiln, a flatbed kiln, where we'll be able to teach out of and then also do our own work. Alongside this, we're also going to do something called potluck events, which a term potluck is, I think, a bit of an Americanism, which I'm guilty for doing all the time. <laughs> but it's just like a kind of what you bring to the table and we're going to invite an artist each month to come along and either demo their craft or teach their craft or even something as simple as talk have an artist talk it'll be kind of up to the artist that we select so if you're interested in doing that please contact me best ways on instagram it's at k mayonnaise um (laughs) yeah so i really go for the pun guys when i do it i go for it But yeah, I just want to try to open up some opportunities for different artists because I do know, like when I said I'm so honored to be here, like when you are starting and you are fresh, it is, you need every opportunity you can get to get out there. So yeah, I thought, why not start a studio that does that? So yeah, that's us. (laughs) I think it's absolutely incredible that not only are you on the start of this journey yourself, but you're already thinking about how I can open this up to enhance other people's journeys too and help help them showcase their work, which again is kind of something that Adi Party is all about as well. It's interesting that mm. it's about <laughs> showcasing the work of people. Although there you get to see it. Here you don't get to see it in action. You do if you go to the Tunameo studio. Yeah. Can you share more about what, what this journey's been like so far? I mean, there must have been challenges getting this studio open, getting this kiln. Well, first off, you got to pay the bills. So I've been like having a part-time job on top of this, but then also trying to start up a business, which is quite a hard balance, but I find being an artist being a balancing act. So that's one of them. Another thing is applying, applying all the time, trying to get funding and, you know, every one in 10 is bound to work, isn't it? You're bound to get some funding. Securing a location is hard. But it kind of worked out fatefully where Kate Watkinson, who's one of the tutors on the MA, she was like, hey, so this old potter, David Fry's retiring, a.k.a. going and starting his own ceramics at home. But so I don't think he really retired. Does any artist ever? (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up kind of finding that space after seeing several spaces of what would work. And it just ended up kind of falling on the table just right. I think one of the hardest things is like organizing everything for the first time because like I am only 24 and like doing this and like being like whoa how do I do a business there's a lot of logistical paperwork there's registering a business it is you also have to think do I need to get an accountant what do I need to do but fortunately I did get help from the enterprise place which has definitely helped with that the last few months which they've also helped me secure visa which was really difficult to get my hands on but I do now, so... <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that part of the process. For you, it was also about maintaining right to live and work in the UK as well. Yes, definitely. It kind of got down to, like, just a tiny little string of, of hope of, like, a couple weeks left of, like, either this visa is going to come through or I'm packing up all my bags and I'm going back home. Thankfully, it went through and now I'm here. But, yeah, that's something I had to think of, like, while I was still on my master's, like, had a job, had was on the master's and was like, okay, what am I going to do next? What do I have to do? What is the next step? And 
just with a lot of organization and that balancing, it worked out and I'm here. And another like thousand pounds to the UK government, but you know. <laughs> I'd love to ask you both because Kelsey, of course, you mentioned applying for grants and pl- applying for funding, and then Posey as well as project coordinator of Art Centre Washington, also joining us in the conversation. Let's say I'm going for a grant right now. It can be a really daunting experience for an artist. Have, have you learned anything over over the years of applying for grants and bursaries that you might be able to share with emerging people? So I find having people review it, have other eyes look over it. You might be kind of nervous and embarrassed maybe about your application, especially when you're first starting out. But the more people that either proofread it or just give you your opinions on your idea, the better it's going to be. Or else you're just kind of blindly handing it in versus you think about these people as like a judging panel ahead of time. Guess what? Your friends like love you. Your family loves you. You bug them be like hey please help me please review this I think that'd be like my best advice Mm. and like kind of the most daunting thing is like getting that first one in but that really helps Mm, I think that's really good advice yeah I think it's like knowing what it is that they're looking for that the funders are kind of after isn't it I can see some nodding faces in the audience yes I think really understanding what it is that the funders are wanting you don't ever want to kind of compromise your work so that it fits into a funding application of course but you need to show that like you're lining up your kind of aims and goals and values with theirs and I think for me that's one of the best ways and and a really good way of doing that is to have conversations isn't it Mm. and to call up the funders in advance and say I'm interested in this can you tell me a bit more about it like yeah I think it's not feeling embarrassed about your ideas being able to kind of ask questions and find out more so that you don't because it takes ages doesn't it you've got to do so much work and you don't want all of that to be kind of going down this direction when really they'd love to see kind of you going down another direction so that Yeah, even emails. Like I find just like putting your name out there and like emailing correspondence helps because then all of a sudden they're like, they're thinking, okay, this person's serious about this. They want to know more. Absolutely. That definitely helps. And then they're going to want to clarify things. They want the best people putting in the best bids. Yeah. Thank you both for that. I really appreciate it because a big part for Arty Party for me is providing advice for emerging artists. So I hope that advice is useful to you listening if you are listening at home or wherever you are. Hey there, Jay here from Arty Party. Hope you're enjoying this second episode of the podcast. Of course, the People's Pyrex exhibition is now in the past. This event was recorded back at the end of June. But because Sunderland Culture are giving us financial support for our live events, we wanted to start the series off here. Uh, Also, we will be podcasting all of the radio shows that we've done since then over the next few episodes before we get to now, (laughs) if that makes sense. Anyway, if you are sat there feeling like you missed out and you wish you were part of our live audience, don't worry. There is another chance coming up really soon to join us for the live conversation. We are hosting another celebration event in partnership with Sunderland Culture. It is on Friday, the 20th of September, from 7pm in the evening at Mackie's Corner. We will be celebrating the legacy of Mackie's Corner in Sunderland City Centre. A whole year of this space being used as an exhibition space by various groups of artists and creatives. And the legacy of work that has been on display over the past year. You can join us absolutely free head to arty party's website for free tickets that's artyparty.com 
Arty with a Y, party with an I. Yi.com. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone interested in arts in Sunderland and the surrounding area. I'm hoping to really pack the house out and show solidarity and support of a year's worth of grassroots exhibitions here in the city centre. Again, that is 7pm onwards on Friday the 20th of September. Anyway, back to today's Arty Party podcast. If you've just joined us, you are listening to Arty Party, celebrating participatory arts in the Northeast. My name's Jay Sykes. I'm live here at the Arts Centre Washington with Posey Jowett. (laughs) (laughs) With Posey Jowett, hello. Oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) And with Kelsey Lynn Mayo. Thank you very much. That's like a little encore. Something that I was hoping that we could talk about today, Kelsey, was that you were recently shortlisted for an award, the Northeast Young Sculptor at Cheeseburn. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was an amazing opportunity. Basically what happens is the Gillian Dickinson Trust funds 10 young artists that they choose from a whole group of people in the Northeast. The caliber is either you're starting your practice here or you're from the Northeast. So obviously, I'm not from here, but I am starting. And I was really honored to be shortlisted and work on an idea. I wasn't selected, but I was proud to be a part of it. And I am going to be able to apply next year. And I am going to try to look for funding to develop that idea. The piece I wanted to work with was I'm Not Fine. And it's talking about mental health, where there'd be three rooms. The first would have the letters I'm 3D bent out of neon and then the middle room would have an endless sea of knots created by using mirror and then hanging knots that you'd walk into and then just fine with neon in the second room this idea of like how do you work through this do you get that conversation out there about mental health which is a main theme about besides all the kind of technical stuff I work with so that was my idea and I hope to kind of work with that further in the future and kind of develop that either maybe on that grand scale or maybe smaller, we'll kind of see how it goes. I was really proud to be a part of that and meet a lot of other artists in the Northeast because it is a great way to like see like, oh, these are these ideas happening of people that had just graduate are still in. They're so different. They're so far and few between that you get to like have that opportunity to meet different people. So I was really happy. Well done on the award, I should say. Oh, thank you. It's a recurring theme that we often return to talk about in regards to arts and mental health and the overlap between those two spaces. If you're happy to talk about it, what does it mean to you to be, either Kelsey or Posey as well, if you've got any thoughts on this, living and working in the artistic scene as you are and coping with your own mental health and Kelsey as well in regards to talking about mental health through your work? How do you find that? I find it... Well, I guess difficult is the first thing. So I struggle with anxiety and depression, but like when you say those words, it's quite hard for people to hear. But I find making work about it and trying to open up that conversation is going to help. It's going to help people be able to turn to their friend and say, hey, this is like how I'm doing today. Just like being able to open that gap in the conversation because I do find in my own culture and here people tend to shy away from these subjects whether it's something that's developed over a long period of time some trauma you've had being able to have the ability to talk is something we all have the right to do I'm no counselor or anything but 
I hope that my work can open this conversation. I do a lot of work where it's like little tiny metaphors, like this thing with the knots. It's using like symbolism, sometimes almost like a satirical nature, which we, we very easily do. We, we just turn to each other and we're like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm fine. It's so easy to just kind of put that aside. And I, I find glass is a good way to use as a medium because I see it as like a light source and I see it as a breath of fresh air. And I translate a lot of the thoughts through that, either through little details or through shining light through things and being like the beacon of hope. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mental health is a real issue, especially for a lot of young people working in the arts or trying to start out in the arts. And I think that's because it's a really hard sector to get into. There's a lot of kind of environmental pressures, I think, on younger people. Maybe a generation ago, it might have been a bit easier to have found the funding that you've got to search for or kind of get set up as an artist or as like an arts facilitator. I think the more that we can have conversations, the more that people can express themselves, find ways of expressing themselves and work through the challenge that is the creative arts sector in the UK at the moment. I think, yeah, the better. And thank you very much for being willing to have these conversations as well, especially in in, in front of a room of people too. I'm glad that we're entering a part of society that feels to me more free to talk about. I mean, I've only been around 26 years. What do I know? But more free to talk about mental health issues than, mm. than perhaps in previous decades. Moving forward then with both of your own projects, because firstly, Posy as People's Pyrex comes to a close. Oh, it feels like it's only just opened. We can't, <laughs> can't talk about closing. Go ahead. I've just wondered what's what's next for you as, a, as an artist or a, as a creative. This has been a really interesting first exhibition for us that we've made much more collaboratively with Sunderland Culture here at the Arts Centre since becoming part of the Sunderland Culture family and it's been brilliant because we've been able to draw on their resources and experience and staff and time in order to produce something here at the Arts Centre that is really ambitious so we don't just have the collection of the community loans but we also have the fantastic wallpaper in there that I hope some of you have seen that was designed in collaboration with Foundation Press and we have the pint goblets as well if you've seen those and they have been made as part of the NGC 21 residency by a local glass artist Erin Dixon. (laughs) She's my old boss and friend. (laughs) Really? Yes. And pint glass maker. Yes. (laughs) So yeah it's really exciting to get to have a really wonderful combination of objects and memories and thoughts all come together here at at the Art Centre and I hope that it is the first of some more wonderful exhibitions like this that we can do collaboratively. Thank you very much that's that's great in fact talking about Erin Dixon as well and if you fancy hearing more about her practice and about this project in particular working with the pint glasses and the football team SAFC and that integration you can check out her former episode on artyparty.com see how I keep mentioning the website (laughs) how do you spell that (laughs) well Posey it's arty with a y party with an i Thank you. I appreciate that. Participatory arts. 
that's what that is. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, I know that there's so many directions that we could talk about with your work, especially Kelsey, because there's so many things that you're going on board to do from this point. So on the precipice of launching Tuna Mayo Studios and starting your potluck events and everything else that's happening with you, how do you feel about taking these next steps and uh, what's next for you? Well, I guess I feel quite nervous, anxious about the next steps, thinking about my own work as well. And that is working with Neon and doing some 3D scanning with it and then building formations around it. Also alongside that with that same type of work, if I hopefully figure this out, and I've been doing developments on it, is also doing Jordy sayings. So like, how way, man? <laughs> <laughs> so as that sounds funny rolling off of my tongue, the reason I'm thinking about this is like, because I'm integrating myself into this culture here and it affects me every day. And like, I have different scenarios and all these different sayings that don't mean much to me or don't don't quite roll into my ears very well. So I wanna look at that culture. So taking that and working with Jordi Neon sign makers and taking those spellings and defracting them in so that they almost become illegible. So that will be using that same like water jet techniques and different things like that using Rhino and also doing recordings of different people saying this from people that are either living here now or people that have lived here their whole life because we all say it very different (laughs) (laughs) and I just find it amazing this different cultural almost language even though you guys speak English you sound very different (laughs) (laughs) you man what do you mean like (laughs) it's my very very bad impression you raise an interesting point there Kelsey actually I'd love to talk more about this because of course you're starting Tunamea Studios and you're focusing on that project and then of course Posey to balance this you are project coordinator with Sunderland Culture and have all of these other parts of your life that way do you find that your creative practice gets lost and that you have to really fight to be an artist yourself and follow your own practice amongst everything else well yeah so I trained as an artist Uh, I did a fine art degree and realized that I wasn't an artist I liked making things but I didn't I didn't like the world of what it was to be an artist but what I did really like was exhibitions and interpreting exhibitions for people so writing about art or talking about it or finding ways to help people engage with art because I do really love it even though it's not my thing yeah so I suppose for me my creative practice I kind of make things and knit and you know kind of itch that scratch by (laughs) um kind of making little things but uh but I wouldn't call myself an artist now, but my, I suppose my creative practice really is about enabling other people to engage with art and with their culture and with their local heritage as well. And off the back of that, another project that we were working on together at one point being the Who Do You Want to Meet project with Friends of the Drop-In, a service for refugees and asylum seekers here in Sunderland, working with storytelling and working mm. with dance as a way, as another way 
of helping bridge these communities and find mm. connections with people. Exactly. Well, it's like you were saying before about this sort of alternative language, isn't it? Is It's hard sometimes to put things into words when you're speaking them out loud, but, but creative practice can connect people in a way beyond what language can, especially if you don't share that same language with someone. So dancing together with someone or looking at an artwork together with someone like speaks to a part of you that crosses over cultural barriers. Hmm. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think as an artist, like we go through art school, it's like you, you need to figure out how do you make money? What do you do? But like you also want to make these grand works and it's hard. Sometimes you work for other artists. Sometimes you sell jewelry. Sometimes you share a booth at Timemouth with other lovely artists up in the audience or maybe you do that in the future. You know, you never know. Finding my own arts practice, I had in my head that it would be, I don't want to say easy, but I thought I would definitely be able to carry on and do it every day. But it, it's not like that. Some days you do paperwork and some mm. days you do emails and then some days you might go work a part-time job and then that next day you do your own work. So I find things take a lot longer than you ever mm. thought they were going to do to do a project. So I guess that's how I'm balancing thinking of it. But like to be able to stay motivated though in that way after having three or four days off of making work and then making yourself go back into the studio. I think having people around helps. Mm. I think sharing a studio helps. I think having a good partner around, having friends around that support you and they look at you and you're like, you are an artist, like you're doing it, you can do it. I think that really helps in family Skypes with my dad being like, hey, I was an artist and I went into furniture making, but you can still do it, you know? <laughs> and I was like, all right, dad, if you believe in me, then good. <laughs> Before we wrap up today, is there anything that either of you would like to talk about that we haven't already? I guess I'd like to plug the opening of the studio, which I should have done earlier. Sorry about that. It's going to be the first Friday of September. I'm going away for a little bit because I got an A.N. bursary to go take a class in Seattle. So Wow, yes. you got an A.N. bursary. Yes. Woo. <laughs> I don't know what their hashtag they told me to say was, but, you know, something, something hashtag. <laughs> They're always like, if you talk about us, make sure you, you plug us, you know, if you talk about the thing. And I was like, OK, sure, I'll, I'll try to remember. <laughs> I'll add it in post. I'll add it in and post right here. <laughs> yes. On Instagram, you can head to at an artist's info and on Twitter, just add in an underscore after the an. So it's at an underscore artist's info. <laughs> <laughs> there it was. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm lucky enough to go home, see my family, do that and then come back for the opening and it will be the first Friday of September, the 6th. And I hope you guys can all come, everyone in the audience. We'll be having Jenny McDermott and Odin Coleman, Alden Coleman will be reading some poetry out loud. They're part of a collective Uncle Monkey. So that will be kind of our first kind of artist potluck that we have um and then we'll just be showing the studio around and having sign up for workshops and probably some some beverages so if you like those please come along as well <laughs> that's how Sunderland culture are doing it with their free pims mm. <laughs> pims and pyrex 
No actual tuna <laughs> mayo, though. Sorry. <laughs> but the so did you say you're in David Fry's old studio? Yeah. There's the floor in there is so it's a beautiful space, isn't beautiful. it? Beautiful. <gasps> we're still it's using like so the gorgeous. the table that he taught on, which I really like. The mm. fact that we're like reusing something that was like in the 80s and 90s. It was mm-hmm. a workshop space as well. So now it's being kind of revamped a little bit. Walls painted, kiln added in, and now it's tuna mayo studios. I'm so excited and I love, love, love the idea of the potluck events, bringing artists in to share their practice in person. It sounds incredible. Uh, So best of luck with it and the opening. Thank you. Uh, Lots of exciting things that you can get involved in in and around the Northeast in the artistic and creative scenes. Something that I should say before we wrap up is a huge thank you to the members of staff and the volunteers here at Art Center Washington. So, Duncan, you won't have heard him, but you'll have heard everyone else because of him. So, <laughs> Duncan, thank you so much for helping out with the tech tonight. <laughs> to John and Barry, who were sat in the dark section at the top. <laughs> Thank you for ushering us in tonight and being so friendly here at the Arts Centre Washington where we've been recording live in front of an audience here in the theatre. I should also say, I know Laura Brewis from Sunderland Culture has left the room at this point, but thank you to Sunderland Culture in general for supporting Arty Party, supporting these live events. There's another four coming throughout the rest of the year. The next one will be in September in another unknown venue somewhere in Sunderland. And also for supporting our website as well, which enables artists to share their work on an online space that I'm hoping to build up into a directory of artists living and working in the Northeast. So uh, if you'd like to get your work on there, then please do get in touch with me. You can either find me on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, We are at Arty Party. We can go to artyparty.com, the website. How do you spell that, Jay? (laughs) (laughs) That's arty with a Y, (laughs) party with an I. So let's hear it. Thank you so much for our two guests today. Thank you so much for joining us from the Arts Centre Washington and from Sunderland Culture, the project coordinator, Posey Jowett. about to open her own studio in Newcastle called Tuna Mayo Studios, Kelsey Lynn Mayo. Arty Party is made possible thanks to funding and support from the Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund through Sunderland Culture's Unlock Strand of their Great Place scheme. Hey, Jay here for one last time this episode. Uh, Before we wrap up, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to our five Patreon supporters. So much gratitude to these five people. To audio producer Laura Willis, visual artist Stephanie Smith, Trilife TV founder Nikki Kaur, photographic artist Joe Howell, and Sister Shack founder Tel Irby, who also DJs under DJ Awkward Black Girl. It's because of you five that we are able to keep the lights on with this podcast, so to speak. Your combined $20 is covering the cost of the RSS feed uh, through the podcast hosting service Libsyn.com. So, genuinely, it's like keeping the lights on the house that is this podcast. If you fancy adding your name to this list of people who is going to be read out every single episode of the podcast, uh, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash arty party. Arty with a Y, party with an I. Why I? 
And it'd be wonderful to see this podcast continue to grow and grow. Uh, but if, of course, you can't give uh, but would like to help us out anyway, then please do share Arty Party with your friends, with your family, with your colleagues, with anybody who you think might be interested in the work of artists and creatives in the northeast of England or the advice that they have to share. Please help us grow. I appreciate it so much. Anyway, this is Jay signing off today's episode of Arty Party.